Well, I wonder what comes to mind when you hear the word holy. Uh, I haven't watched the whole thing, but there's an eight-minute video on YouTube of all of Batman and Robin's family-friendly expletives compiled into one video. Holy smokes, holy cow, holy mackerel and all of that sort of thing for eight solid minutes. Um, what does that word mean? And I wonder what conjures up in your mind as you hear the word holy. Um, you might have been to the Holy Land. This is the Holy Bible. We have Holy Communion. We pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean that all of these things are holy? Well, holiness is primarily a characteristic of God. God is holy. In fact, this aspect is so important and fundamental to his nature that the Bible repeats it emphatically three times. It's repeated, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And the holiness of God is his absolute moral perfection and purity. He is perfectly pure and right and just and good and holy in all his ways. And so as a derivative of God's holiness and the function of God's holiness, it means that anything else which is called holy means that it's set apart and dedicated for this one holy God. So the Holy Bible is God's book. The Holy Spirit is God's spirit. The Holy Land is God's place, which he set apart for his people. Holy Communion is a meal set aside for God, special and pure and righteous and bringing glory to God. Well, we've been asking um, as a church, as St Mark's, what kind of church do we feel that God is calling us to be? And uh, we believe that he's calling us to be a holy church. And there are many places in the Bible where one could go to see that God calls his people and his church to be holy. And perhaps most famously is the sentence that's repeated a number of times in scripture where God says to his people, be holy for I am holy. And that's said uh, by Moses in the Old Testament and it's picked up on by Peter in the New Testament. But I was drawn to this famous passage in Jesus' um, Sermon on the Mount uh, where he talks about the people being salt and light. And even though um, the word holy isn't mentioned here, holiness is what he's talking about for his people. And here in these words, Jesus gives us two famous pictures to help us to understand what it means for people to be holy. Two everyday things, two domestic items found in every home in Jesus' day and still in our world today as well, salt and light. And Jesus says his holy people will be like salt and they will be like light. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. So what does Jesus mean particularly by giving us these two um, illustrations? What does he mean when he says you're the salt of the earth? What does he mean by salt? Light is quite obvious what light does, um, but salt has got so many different uses and it has had so many applications that um, people have suggested that Jesus might mean all sorts of things when he says his people are to be like salt. Um, salt brings flavour when you're cooking. Um, so perhaps Christians in the world are supposed to bring out all the goodness and the flavour and make the world more interesting and colourful and beautiful. Um, Salt makes you thirsty, so perhaps Christians in the world are to bring about a, a, a thirst which can only be quenched by a relationship with the true God. Uh, salt is white, so perhaps um, Christians ought to be pure and white in the world. Well, whilst there might be some truth and validity in probably all of those um, different interpretations, I think the main thing that Jesus has in view when he encourages his people to be like salt 
is that he wants them to prevent decay. So in the ancient world, before there were fridges, um, meat would go bad pretty quickly. And the way to preserve meat was with salt, by rubbing salt into the meat. And so salt stops meat from decaying and going putrid and, and bad, as anybody who um, enjoys biltong from uh, Snoggy's South African shop on the Upper Richmond Road knows very well. It's salt which preserves the meat from decay. Because if you leave meat to itself, uh, like if you leave a garden untended, uh, it goes bad. And so does society, so does human nature. Um, I read recently that Microsoft built an artificial intelligence program which talks to people through Twitter and it learnt and interacted. And the more that it interacted with people on Twitter, the more it learnt. And this um, artificial intelligence program was pleasant enough when it started out, but it learned from people so quickly that within 24 hours, it had had to be taken down by Microsoft because it had become an abusive, misogynist, Nazi sympathiser. And perhaps that's just a little snapshot of the fact that by ourselves, if we're left towards ourselves as humans, we don't naturally bend towards holiness. Uh, we tend to go off like spoiled meat, which is why Martin Luther said that if you really want to help people, sometimes you need to rub salt in the wound, which is not simply to sort of twist the knife or kick someone whilst they're down. To rub salt in the wound is a helpful thing. It's actually to halt the infection. It might sting, but it's necessary. And so Jesus says his people to, are to be like that, to prevent decay. But the function of the holiness of God's people is not simply negative, it's also positive. The church doesn't just prevent the spread of evil, it is there to promote the spread of good and beauty and truth and goodness. Which is why Jesus encourages his people not just to be salt, but also to be light as well. So Jesus said of himself, he said, I am the light of the world. And his light is his holiness, it's his purity, it's his moral excellence, his goodness, his perfection. Light and life, as the Christmas carol puts it, to all he brings. And so Jesus is first and foremost the light of the world. But he also says to us as his church that in a derivative sense, actually we as well are the light of the world. Wherever we go in Jesus' name, whenever we do the kinds of things he did and say the kinds of things that he said, and whenever we point to the Father in the way that Jesus pointed to the Father, uh, then we are also light of the world. And a holy church is therefore good for the world. It's necessary, and God intends his holy people to be a blessing and a positive thing for the world. In the second half of verse 13, Jesus says, if you're not salty, you won't be good for anything. And Jesus wants us to be good for something. He wants to be positive. He wants us to be a blessing um, to the world. Now, the world actually needs the church to be holy because it's decaying and in need of preservation and because it's dark and in need of illumination. And we might be surprised, perhaps, that hasn't Jesus got a bit of a negative attitude towards the world? Is the world really so, so dark and so decaying? Um, actually, you know, in lots of ways, as we look around at our world, it's a pretty good place, isn't it? People are generally decent towards each other. And the least that we'd say is um, that actually our world is a lot better shaped than it was in Jesus's day. Um, I mean, in, in the Romans time, when, when Jesus was around, the Romans were brutal. 
Um, but now we've got democracy and freedom of speech and individual human rights and the NHS and people generally care for each other. And there's an increasing equality amongst uh, different groups of people. And we're increasingly intolerant of bad things and increasingly in favor of good things. Well, I believe that the reason why our world is so much better in many ways than the world that Jesus inhabited was is precisely because these words were taken seriously. It's precisely because Christians actually have exercised uh, a moral responsibility in the world. They've prevented the moral decline of the world and pointed to moral goodness in the world. And the holiness, the salt and the light of God's people in the world has been incredibly and perhaps surprisingly effective over the centuries. And we might have expected this not really to work very well. I mean, here's Jesus stood giving his sermon on the mount in the middle of a field on the side of a hill in the middle of nowhere, speaking to a kind of ragtag, fledgling bunch of followers and telling them to be meek and humble and merciful and to turn the cheek and to love their enemies and go the extra mile. You might have thought that an attitude like that and a people group with an attitude like that would have been completely crushed by the world and would have been overwhelmed by the world. But they had the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' view of his church was that he knew in the long run that they would impact the world. And look at the global vision he has. Verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you're the light of the world. And that's why in his book, Dominion, if you're after a bit of uh, extra summer reading, Tom Holland, uh, who is not a Christian, um, he argues, I think pretty conclusively, that the reason why our liberal democratic society is the way it is, is directly thanks to the Christian faith. Christians have been so salty and so bright that actually they have created the civilization that in lots of ways we now take for granted. But I wonder whether the positive influence that God's holy people have had in our world is perhaps starting to wear off as people are increasingly unaware of the knowledge of the holy God that we serve. I wonder whether our society is in some ways like cut flowers in a vase, and they look good. But that which is good and beautiful in our society unquestionably grew in the holy soil of our Christian past. But the holiness of God is no longer widely acknowledged, and that's why perhaps our world needs a holy church now, more than maybe at any time since Jesus spoke these words. So Jesus highlights two traps that the church actually has always been in danger of falling into. Firstly, he says in verse 13 that the salt can lose its saltiness. Now, apparently salt can't actually lose its saltiness. Um, technically, sodium chloride, it's apparently a very um, stable compound. But the salt that they had in Jesus' day wasn't as pure. There weren't refineries. So actually, the kind of the powder that they had was a mixture of salt and loads of other stuff. And so if the actual salt was to dissolve, then all you'd be left with was a completely worthless and useless white powder. Well, holiness means to be distinct and to be different and to be set apart. And that's not easy uh, to go against the crowd. And so the world around us, well, actually, it loves a lot of what Jesus has to say, like loving our neighbour. Everybody agrees that's a good thing. But it doesn't like a lot of the other things that Jesus has to teach us, for example, to do with personal uh, sexual morality or self-control. And it's so tempting to dilute 
our holiness. It's tempting to lose our saltiness and to conform to the culture around us. If the first danger is the salt loses its saltiness and the church conforms to just be indistinguishable from the culture, the second danger is of the church creating a subculture. So verse 14, he warns about the fact that the light of the world can't be hidden. And you don't want to put a light under a bowl where it would be pointless. Because a lamp that's hidden is completely no help at all. And a church, which is just a holy kind of huddle, turned inwards upon ourselves, that's no help to anybody. And throughout the ages, there have been these twin temptations, either to dumb down the distinctiveness and the holiness of our faith and to becoming distinguishable from the world, or to go off and kind of start a monastery and run away and hide from the world. But the true church doesn't conform to be indistinguishable from the culture. It doesn't create a subculture running away from the world, it creates a holy counterculture that brings transformation to the surrounding world. And that's what we want to pray that we would be as St. Mark's. We would be a holy church. Or I might think, I can't do that. Um, How can we be a holy counterculture? And Jesus was probably speaking to a mixed audience here in this sermon. Perhaps we've got a mixture of people who are listening today. And so it's important for us to recognise that actually Jesus' call to holiness is specifically to his church, to his disciples. And the teaching here is, according to verse 1 of chapter 5, two his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And so important to note that actually it's to those who are already his disciples, to those who have already become Christians, to those who have already turned from our unholy life and submitted to the holiness of God, Uh, in repentance and faith and it's to us who are already a Christian that Jesus doesn't actually say you know please try your best please try and be a bit more holy he doesn't say you know if you could just be a bit brighter and a bit saltier he actually says to his disciples you are you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world he's already made us holy and so his charge to his disciples is to live out what we are already we've already been given the shirt, now play like we're a member of the team. But perhaps we're not sure whether we're a Christian. Or maybe we're sure we're definitely not a Christian. Or perhaps we're thinking about becoming a follower of Jesus. Well, if that's us, then first of all, before we even think about living a holy life, we need to have a life-transforming encounter with the Holy God. And that's the experience that Isaiah had uh, in chapter 6. And uh, he had a vision of God. And he saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the angels were calling to one another in this vision, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And what Isaiah felt when he came into the presence of the Holy God was that he was completely unholy. And he said, Woe is me, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And when we encounter the holiness of God, we'll realise that we aren't holy. But what we need is atonement. And that's what happened uh, for Isaiah. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And when we realise that Jesus Christ himself stepped down into our world to bring us light, that he went to the cross to halt our moral decline and to atone for our sin, And that in his stead, 
he gives us his holy robe of righteousness, then we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and be sent out to be salt and to be light in the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would fill each one of us, wherever we are right now, with a knowledge of your holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And I pray for us as a church that we would be salt in our society, that we would be those who are able to do our bit to halt moral decline, to bring justice where there is oppression and to bring freedom where um, people are downtrodden. But we also pray that you'd help us to be light and to point to the one true light, Jesus Christ, and that alongside our denunciation of what is wrong, that we would proclaim what is good. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, as our society increasingly um, perhaps forgets the heritage of the holiness of of God's people, which have brought us to the place where we are today, I pray that you would raise up again a holy church that would be salt and light to the surrounding culture. And we pray that in order to be able to do this, you would fill each one of us with with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.